Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to 2021. Uh, I am your host, Will Payne Harrison, and this is Americana Station. Today on the podcast, we have Andrew Weiss, uh, and he has a new record out right now. He's uh, working on another new one, um, which is exciting as well. So uh, we'll be talking to him. Uh, also coming up on the podcast, we have a lot of great uh, artists, including uh, Dan Whitaker will be up next week. Uh, I want to point out because... I probably won't be putting this up until uh, after his uh, streaming live streaming show um, on the 16th, which is this Saturday, January 16th. He will be live streaming um, on his YouTube page, I do believe, but you can get the tickets and information at danwhitaker.com. Uh, he's an incredible uh, honky-tonk artist in um, Chicago area. He's been doing that for, uh, I think he said around 30 years, but he's also been, uh, an incredible solo artist, singer, songwriter. And, uh, we talk a lot about his, uh, more solo folk songs, which he just put out a new record and he's going to be performing. Um, so make sure you go to danwhitaker.com and, uh, purchase your tickets, uh, for Saturday, January 16th to, uh, see Dan Whitaker live. I know I'm going to be doing that. Um, we also have Eric Bolander, who's got a new music video coming out soon uh, in February. And so uh, my conversation with him will be coming out uh, in a few weeks, right before his video drops. So we can talk, you can uh, catch up with Eric Bolander and what's been going on with him. Uh, I just booked the Rough and Tumble. So they'll be on the podcast as well. And uh, they have a new single that's dropping on Bluegrass Situation. So make sure you look for them. Uh, their new stuff sounds really good. And Zach Russell. Uh, so he's got a new record coming out February 12th. And if you haven't heard of him yet, you should uh, definitely go follow him on social media. And um, he's one of my friends. We tweet a lot. Um, so just go look at my list and uh, I'll, I'll try to, I'll put a tweet out today at Will P. Harrison saying to follow uh, all these cats. And um, so you can keep up with them and their new music. And uh, yeah. So welcome to 2021. Um, make sure you go rate and review the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, those ratings really help a lot. Um, and uh, I know there are, you know, over 100 uh, weekly listeners, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. I think we have about 20 uh, ratings right now on uh, Apple Podcast. Uh, so if you're listening on Apple Podcast, please, please. Just go give it a five-star review and, and say uh, something nice about the podcast. That would mean the world to me. And it really helps uh, get more viewership. Uh, and it helps all these artists get more viewership as well. Um, so we're doing this. This is a collaborative effort. Uh, this is a community effort. And um, the more you raise up this podcast, the more we raise up all of these independent artists so that uh, they get more exposure. So let's do this all together and um, really shine a light on uh roots americana folk and country music it uh would be very helpful for all of us and we would very much appreciate it from the bottom of our heart also i'm about to update i have not but i will uh, in the next couple of days so uh, i will update the americana highways playlist uh, it's, it's the backroads playlist on spotify so make sure that you are following that um and we'll update it with some brand spanking new music from uh, some people that are going to be on the podcast as well as other artists that are on Americana highways. Uh, so make sure you follow that and uh, let's get to it. Let's talk to Andrew Weiss today. 
Singer-songwriter Andrew Weiss clings to and cherishes moments of intimacy, hard conversations, and emotional currency through his songwriting. thinks of me as a friend I only call him once a week Are you sure you want to know me? He fuses such a throwback warmth and charm right into the work, while offering new perspectives on tried and true subjects. When I don't like your point of view, are you sure you want to know me? His influences run the gamut from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to Cheap Trick to Buffalo Springfield to the Birds. His latest EP, Lookout Mountain, came out October 23rd. Join me as we speak with Andrew Weiss. Hey everyone, today I'm speaking with Andrew Weiss. Uh, he has a new record out uh, and it is called Lookout Mountain. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Andrew. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. How is it going uh, up in Long Island? It's going. It's going, you know, hanging in there during this tough time. But uh, yeah, you know, it's been a creative time in the midst of this crazy time the nation is going through. So at least uh, that's kind of getting me through. Yeah. Um, so this is actually your second record that you've, oops, sorry, that, you've, that was my alarm to, that we were about to start. Um, <laughs> so, and you were ahead of time. So thank you for that. Um, oh yeah, sure. So this is your second record uh, this year, right? Or well, I guess it's 2021 now, but. Yeah, that, that came out in 2020 for sure. Yeah. Uh, and actually it was uh, two records and then um, two singles as well. Oh, wow. So it's it's been a creative time for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. So you first you put out a full length uh, towards the beginning of the year around uh, March. Is that correct? Yeah, it was like right in the midst of when all this stuff started. It was like March 27th, I think was the release date. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, it was kind of bad timing but you know we we decided to put it out because why not you know some good vibes could could do people good if they if they wanted it right and so since you couldn't tour you put a lot of your energy into writing new songs and then released a a new uh ep lookout mountain which you recorded at home is that right yeah exactly yeah i was just kind of writing a lot in the newfound free time and um i was just kind of like well i don't know when we're going to be able to get to a studio, you know, everything was closed still is over, over here. So, um, I just kind of invested a little bit in upgrading the setup at home and just got to recording and reached out to, to the guys and everybody was, was into it. Cause you know, not, no one had anything else going on and it was the closest thing that we could, um, really have to like playing together. So it gave us a reason to call each other and have this sort of <laughs> communal experience, uh, whether, you know, even though it wasn't in person. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, another person I had on the podcast, Josh King kind of had a similar thing where he was, uh, he created like a record in his shed, uh, and cool. bought a lot more gear. And that's actually what I did as well. <laughs> nice. So yeah. It seems like we're all kind of on the same level. We got bogged down by staying at home. So we just bought gear and, and tried to make the best of it. Absolutely. And, you know, buying gear is something that I do when we're not at home either. So <laughs> yeah. I, 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 can't, I can't say it's a new habit, but, uh, you but know, it's a reason it's a good reason. Yeah. It's, it's an excuse. How about that? <laughs> yeah. It's an excuse. So are you, uh, planning on doing more records from home, uh, now that yeah. you have this gear? For sure. I'm actually in the middle of one right now. Um, 
So I, I wrote, actually, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. From January of 2020 to December 2020, I wrote 88 new songs. Holy shit. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. It's something that I wasn't expecting. But, you know, I kind of had one of those uh, spurts where I was just like, well, let me just write every day. Like, even if it's complete crap, maybe, yeah. you know, we could just kind of write every day and, and see what happens. So I think because I was flexing the muscle, you know, you can kind of see when you like scroll through my <laughs> my word document of like songs like, yeah, you know, there's two bad ones, but then there's like four good ones after that. So I think just because I was open to to the ideas and just kind of flexing that that muscle more often than I was before, um, the ideas were just kind of coming and it was uh, it was great. So I I used some of those songs for the EP and then um, I'm in the middle of recording another full length right now in kind of the same way, just like doing tracks here and sending them to, uh, you know, my bass player. He actually um, moved to Nashville in the middle of, of this pandemic a couple months ago. So, um, you know, I've been sending stuff to him and he's doing stuff in his setup and, uh, you know, so we're, we're staying busy. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, were you like completing songs like every day or were you just kind of, you start something and then, uh, you know, once you finished it, you finished it. How, how do you make, how do you write 88 songs in nine months? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, um, I'm kind of, of the idea that like, if you, and I, this is something that I kind of learned the hard way, which I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this too, is that if you, if you start writing a song one day, I'm mainly talking about lyrics here. I mean, music is, is a little bit easier to finish maybe like a couple of days later, you know, but yeah. if you, if you're in the headspace one day and you're like writing lyrics and, and then you try and like revisit it a couple of days later when it's not in a, in a, somewhat finished presentable form I've always found that you're in, you're already in a different headspace and it kind of comes across as like you can't get back to the original intent that you were going for right so so mainly what I try to do is at the very least just like even if I know that some of the stuff is just placeholders um I'll finish the lyrics for a song the same day that I start it and then you know a couple of days a couple of weeks a couple of months might go by before I actually start the editing process of that. Yeah. But, but, but at least then like, I'll kind of have a better idea of what I was going for than just to kind of keep the original intent. That's yeah. That's really smart. Um, a smart way to write for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, when people are writing, uh, prose, that's what they do. I just think Mm -hmm. as songwriters, we, we sometimes over tweak it. Yeah. It, for it sure. can really kill a song that has a good vibe for sure. So that's, that's definitely a smart way to do it. <laughs> Abs- no, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I can't take credit for the actual idea. It wasn't something I arrived at myself. It was actually something I read in a Beatle book where George Harrison was talking about how, you know, Lennon and McCartney kind of gave him advice about songs. And I think, I think Harrison was writing Taxman or something and, and he called Lennon up for advice and, and his advice to him was like, finish it now because you're going to forget the intent. So Harrison was like, that was a good lesson for me because I always, you know, would finish a song when I wrote it, even if I was going to edit it later. So I, I, whenever I read that, I was like, yeah, it really makes sense. So I just kind of adopted that. Yeah. And also 
that's coming from the guy who wrote something, which is yeah. hands down one of the best Beatles songs. So I'll tell you, I'll take that advice. Hands down one of the best any songs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a great segue because I was actually going to uh, bring this up. You know, I've been reading your bio and the mm-hmm. first thing I did when I listened to your record is I said, okay, he definitely has Beatles influence. <laughs> There's some Laurel Canyon folk influence in here. Yeah. Um, you know, and <laughs> I'm reading your bio and, uh, it's one of the first things it says is that you're you're very influenced by the Beatles and Paul McCartney and uh, the sounds of the 70s Laurel Canyon folk rock, you know, yeah. blended with the 70s power pop. And I'm like, wow, this bio nails it. Like, oh, cool. If you're if you're into any of that, uh, everyone that's listening, like this album is for you. It's really really well done. And I saw that it was also Thanks. mastered by uh, Eric Boulanger. Boulanger. Yeah, yeah. Who did Neil Young, right? He's done some. Yeah, he's he's incredible. Um, we almost worked together a couple of years ago and, and uh, it didn't work out. But, um, you know, I really wanted him to to take a crack at it this time. And he like totally, totally nailed it. Um, it was one of the first experiences that I've had where like <laughs> I'm sure you've had this experience, too, as a writer, producer, like, you know, you, you do the the writing, the, the mixing, producing. And then when it's time for mastering, it's just like, oh, like more money I have to spend yeah. on, on this. Like, and like, can you really hear a difference? Like, I don't know, you know? And of course, like I've, I've worked with a lot of great mastering engineers who, who do like, you know, leave their stamp on it and it's, and it's awesome. But, um, but Eric is like in another league, in my opinion, he just totally, totally nailed it. So I have to I have to tell you my secret. I probably shouldn't. I should probably just keep this under wraps. <laughs> but um, what uh, DAW were you using? Uh, were you Pro Tools or? I, w- I recorded this in Logic, actually. Logic, yeah. So I, I've been using. Um, I'm giving up all my secrets here, <laughs> but uh, the PreSonus uh, uh, Studio One version mm-hmm. five has cool. a built-in mastering suite in it, uh-huh. and um, it it really changed the game for me because I, I just went to mastering.com and uh, they're not paying me to say this, but uh, <laughs> there's some free videos on how to master. Um, you can also take some courses and this guy's mastered like everyone. He's like brilliant mastering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I just took some free courses. Uh, I think he was offering them during the beginning of pandemic for free. They may not be free now. I'm not sure, but uh, learned like everything I could about at least basic mastering and then kind of used uh, the, uh, studio one and right. uh, just I, I just did it like 40 times until it sounded like it was actually mastered you know that's really cool yeah that's, that's not a bad idea I'll, I'll definitely check that out yeah so that was that was my little like uh master work yeah work around <laughs> for not having to pay you know an, an extra four yeah. or five grand no totally totally but when you have the guy that's done like neil young and green day and stuff like that you definitely have a yeah. leg up for sure. Yeah. And he was, he was super nice. Like I reached out to him in, um, it must've been like, like, you know, May, early May. And, you know, I, I told him, you know, I, I kind of, um, really wanted him to work on it. Cause you know, I, I listened to his, his stuff and just dug his, you know, like you've had this experience for it too. I'm sure where like all the records you listen to, you realize that there's a common name yeah. that, that runs through it. And it's just like, Oh man, like that must mean something, you know, like his, Totally. His hands are on it. So, um, and he was super cool. And he's actually from New Jersey. Even he's based in California now, but he's from New Jersey. So we had that East Coast thing. And um, yeah, it was, it was great. Can't say enough good things about him. That's awesome. So um, being an East Coaster, were you born and raised on the East Coast? I was, yeah. Born and raised Long Island. 
what is like the 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 scene there? Um, you know, I've only been to New York a few a handful of times and like yeah, played yeah. shows and stuff like that. So I don't think I have a full grasp of it, but I'm sure it's very different from uh, Nashville. Uh, like what, what is it when it's, you know, normal times, what is the yeah, scene like there? For sure. Well, I'd say that, um, Long Island and Manhattan are, are very, very different. Um, whereas like Manhattan, um, you know, there's, it, what seems to be, I mean, I, I lived in the city for a couple of years. I actually went to school there. So I was, I was part of the, um, the scene there as well. And it, it's a little bit less, uh, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that on Long Island, there's, it's, it's very seasonal, the music, you know, whereas in Manhattan, you know, in the, in the dead of winter, you can see music really any night of the week, but here in, in, in the winter, um, you definitely notice like a bit less of a draw and a bit less of a need for music maybe. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think as far as the scene goes, it's pretty cool. Um, it's definitely, there's like, pockets of really good scenes and then there's like other stuff where you know it's either really exclusive or there's just not much of a scene there either you know and I think a lot of the scene is is mainly dominated by older guys you know guys in their 50s and 60s and you know the the bars out here are kind of loyal to them and um it is in a way hard to break through but at the same time like you know before before the pandemic and everything you know I was um out of college like I, I was working like four nights a week um, playing gigs here, which, which was great. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's definitely gigs to be had for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, and on one of these singles uh, I read somewhere, let me find it. You had um, the guitarist uh, Matt Beck from uh, yeah. Matchbox 20 play some pedal steel on it. Absolutely. Um, so you met him at the outlaw Roadshow. show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a cool time. You were opening for the Counting Crows. So basically, what happened was uh, in twenty, I think it was twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen, um, we got accepted into this this festival called the Outlaw Roadshow, and the Outlaw Roadshow is run by two guys. Um, one of them being Adam Duritz, the lead singer of Counting Crows. Yeah, and they it's this really cool, you know, weekend where. They, they, the two guys, they kind of just curate this music um, that they love and they put on the show at um, usually the, the two venues they use is uh, Rockwood Music Hall and, um, and Bowery Electric. So that particularly, particular year, it was at Bowery Electric. And um, the surprise like headliner was the Counting Crows and Matchbox 20. They did like a um, co-opener show where like they sing each other's songs kind of thing oh that's awesome um so it was great and the weekend kind of started it was like a thursday afternoon and we went to um to adam's apartment which was like super cool and uh they had some like acoustic shows where like they'd film us playing and we get to hang out and um so yeah we were just like hanging out with the county crows and matchbox 20 and it was does he really have a, a room where you can jump on a trampoline like a whole room I didn't see the trampoline room, nor did I hear about it. That might be a rumor. <laughs> that might be a rumor I've heard. Yeah. That might be a rumor. Um, yeah, but it, there is there is a really cool section where um, you can see it on the on the videos online. It's like um, artificial grass that he has this like corner of the room, and that's where his piano is. Um, and you, I imagine he just kind of like 
sits there and that's where he writes and, and thinks and just, you know, lives mostly. But um, that was where all the acoustic shows took place. So like every band had an acoustic show, which, which happened there. And then they had like a, a club show where, you know, it was at, at Barry, Barry Electric. Awesome. Yeah, um, I'll definitely have to link that video uh, on the yeah, podcast so people can for see. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was, it was really cool. But yeah, but then, you know, um, Matt Beck from Matchbox 20, we just kind of um, spoke a couple of times that, that weekend and really hit it off and we were hanging out. And, um, you know, I saw him a couple a couple times in between then and now, just, you know, running into each other at shows in, in, in Manhattan or, you know, that kind of thing. And then um, in the middle of this uh, pandemic, I, I follow him on Instagram and I noticed that he has this nice home studio set up and I know that he plays pedal steel and I, on this, this track, the other side of the rock that, um, that I, I put out a couple months ago, um, I was really hearing pedal steel and I was just like, Oh, it'd be cool to work with him again. And, you know, just to connect. So I reached out and he was super cool and was happy to do it. And I think it came out great. And that is that single out yet? Yeah. Yeah. That came out. Um, I think back in August, I want to say. August or September. Yeah. That's uh, before the world broke with uh, the other side of the rock. Awesome. Yeah. And those are available on all the streaming platforms. Yep. Yeah. All the stream- streaming platforms for sure. Or buy, you know, you can buy it on Bandcamp, which you should do. Or that. Yeah. yeah. That would be awesome too. <laughs> I, I am, especially in this pandemic, a huge proponent for Bandcamp now. Um, oh, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, some of the, the, you know, shout out to all the people who have, you know, purchased stuff on Bandcamp. It's been a, a nice source of, it's just, it's amazing. You know, one person buys your record and it's like $10 in your pocket and you're like, oh yeah. shit, that's like literally like 5,000 streams on Spotify. So it's like really nice. Yeah. To yeah. Have, yeah. Have money. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have money. It's also, you know, just like when somebody buys your record on Bandcamp, it's like, oh, this is how it's supposed to feel. Like you're yeah. supposed to feel this good. And, you know, rather than getting the check in the mail for like 20 bucks for, you know, a couple thousand streams. Right. Every like two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been super cool. And um, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but Bandcamp's kind of doing a, a Patreon type thing. And um, I'm about to jump on board that I actually, uh, uh, so, I, you know, we started both of us with the, uh, all the, buying all the gear for the studio stuff. So we record, yeah. well, my next phase is I just bought like a, a nice, uh, mid-level like camera that I can like shoot video oh, and nice. stuff like that. And, uh, I'm going to start doing like, uh, you know, music videos and, and behind that's the scenes so cool. stuff. For, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's just like, it's like anyone that's a member can like, you, you literally just post the videos and they're only there. Like the content's only there. So, ah if you charge like, I don't know, like five bucks a month or something like that, they get this, mm-hmm. all this, uh, content that's only available on Bandcamp plus, you know, um, like I, I found, uh, you know, an old, uh, radio show that, uh, I did a few years ago, um, that was like recorded live, you know, you can like throw up stuff like that and give them like a bunch of other behind the scenes and, and stuff that you can't get anywhere else. And so, yeah, like, so I'm cool. definitely a big proponent of Bandcamp and anyone listening, who doesn't check out Bandcamp, you need to go check out Bandcamp and please buy Andrew's record there. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, Bandcamp has been awesome, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I've noticed a lot more people have been putting out stuff like on Bandcamp ahead of like streaming. I think that that's a, a brilliant idea and we need to start yeah. the streaming platforms more like radio. 
to sustain us that way. Absolutely. And I think also, um, I could be wrong on this. I'm sure someone out there would know, but I think the quality of the music, like the actual tech quality of the music is better on Bandcamp than it is on Spotify. Yeah. You know, like you can up, you can upload like high quality audio, like which, the black and yeah, exactly. Which is how we intend the music to be heard anyway. So. Right. It's like, uh, people watching stuff in, you know, 720 or whatever, yeah. instead of 1080p or even 4k, you know? Exactly. So exactly. It, have you ever cool. seen, have you ever seen the, um, the Neil Young, the, the Pono player? Did you ever yeah. Hear about that? Yeah. So, have you ever actually listened to Pono? No, no. So it's actually, it's, it's really crazy. So I saw Neil Young live um, back in maybe like 2014, 2015. And when you walk into the the venue, it was like an outdoor arena. Um, he had this little booth set up. It was right around the time that this thing came out. Um, this, this Pono player, which is like a super, super highest quality audio that you can get. Yeah. And he had a booth set up and it was actually super cool um, that you can, you can go with, with these headphones that they had and you can listen to like what it sounds like for an MP3 and you can compare it to this Pono file. And it was astounding. It, it, it really was. Yeah. It's, I mean, Flack, uh, for people that don't know that uh, don't do the music production like you and I, Flack yeah. is literally the, it's such a high quality that it's like, so wave is the highest form you can put on a CD, which is right. currently uh, the highest quality that you can really listen to stuff uh, unless you get flack and Bandcamp allows flack, which is the full uh, uncompressed full quality uh, studio version of what we're hearing when we're mixing. Right. Yeah. And uh so yeah, it's really only available on Bandcamp, and I guess with Pono, I don't, I don't. Right. Yeah. Well, the the only thing with with Pono, which was kind of annoying, which is why I, I didn't spring for one, is that you literally had to rebuy all of the music that you wanted to listen to. So it was like, yeah, I don't know if that's worth it. Oh, so you couldn't upload Flack you already had? Exactly. Like it had to be their own. I, oh, I think they even had their own store where like, you know, you'd, you'd go on there and, you know, Neil, I mean, like, I'm sure it wasn't a marketing scheme. Cause like it, it, it really did sound different and it was definitely worth it for somebody who was an audiophile like that. But, you know, unless, unless you have a lot of money to burn, it's like, you, you know, think about buying all your, your songs again. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and honestly, um, it's, the only thing that's better than records and vinyl really, if you want to get like nerdy yeah. about it too. So it's, yeah. it, it really is like probably the best quality and you can get it on Bandcamp. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> plug for Bandcamp. Plug, a huge plug for Bandcamp. Um, so you said you're working on a new record now? Yeah. Yeah. I started recording here for that um, about like th- three weeks ago, I think. That's that's super exciting. When's it going to come out? Do you have a date or you just kind of wait until you get through it to Yeah, I'm not sure yet. I mean, honestly, I'd kind of like to wait. I mean, this is assuming that everything goes well. Uh to wait until we can kind of play live again. <laughs> yeah. You know, to 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 really tour behind it cuz um I really miss that and and I hope we can we can do that soon. So, I'm hoping. I mean, you know, maybe maybe the end of the year or early next year it'll it'll come out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, in, it's in the works. That gives you a lot more time to, to kind of work with it too. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Let it sit. I'm actually doing the same thing. I have the, the, you know, 10 to 12 songs picked already. Um, Nice. And at first I was planning on shopping, uh, but I think I'm just going to start my own label and just do the same thing, put it out later, like August. Very cool. Uh, if things are going well, just kind of <laughs> watch. Yeah, I know, right? The way things are going. Yeah, I, re- I, I really hope by like this summer, we can, you know, kind of see the light of like being able to play shows again. But then again, I don't know if you saw this. I Right before we, we started, I got a notification that um, Red Rocks announced like a 2021 concert schedule that's due to start in April. Really? Yeah, so I'm not They're sure really how... Bold. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Like, I'm not sure how that's going to work. <laughs> in but, April? Uh, that's yeah. only like four months away. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if they know something we don't, but um, hey, here's to hoping. <laughs> maybe maybe they have like a, a if you have a, the vaccine shot, like you sh- show your card and you can get in. <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's probably part of it. And also, I'm sure it's, it's not going to be a full a full arena, you know, they'll probably do like half or a quarter or something. Right. Yeah, man, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Cause the thing that a lot of people don't realize too, um, is, uh, you know, we, this has been mentioned on the show before, but like, mm-hmm. uh, six to nine months is, is standard, uh, booking like frame for oh, yeah. when you're planning on a tour. So like April's four months away. So like, and we don't really know what's going on. So like, even if, you know, someone like you or I, who, who are smaller acts, like, even if we're ready uh, and willing to go when we don't yeah. know for sure what's going to happen, like, like if we started booking tomorrow, we wouldn't be looking until like probably August. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and also, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. I was, I was just going to say that also like all those acts that, that Red Rocks um, has on, on, on the bill right now, I imagine that in order for it to be cost effective for the, for the, the bands themselves, like they'd have to book other dates along the way. Right. You know, so like that's assuming that they can, they can go city to city tour and like, you know, stay in hotels and eat at restaurants. I mean, that's, it's just a lot of ifs. So like Red Rocks, I think holds like 9,000. Is that right? Something, something like, that. like, something like that. So if you do like a third, so you're doing 3000, do you have to do three shows and you're getting paid the same as one too, you know, like, right. Well, yeah. I mean the, the, the schedule that I saw, I mean, most bands were playing one night only, so it wasn't even like they were playing, you know, the shows to make up the difference. Yeah. So I don't know how that's going to work, but maybe the artists are, are in a, a vulnerable spot right now. Cause they obviously like us really want to play live. So maybe they're willing to just do the one, the one stop at Red Rocks. Yeah. And somebody has to be the first, you know, somebody has to kind of venture out and, and take a hit. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. That's wild though. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm sure you obviously don't have any uh, dates booked. Uh, no, not, not yet. I mean, you know, um, it wasn't like this year was completely void of gigs. I mean, I, I did have some outdoor gigs over the summer where like, you know, um, it was either like a, a backyard show where the people who came were like spread apart on the lawn or um, yeah. like at, uh, you know, restaurants where it's outdoors and that was like far away from people. So, you know, but then again, as soon as the weather got cold, it's like, all right, back to, back to staying home. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Are you like normally uh, doing a lot of dates every year? Is this like a huge change for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm, I'm used to doing like three to four nights a week, like as a kind of normal week. And then over the summer, sometimes it's six or seven nights a week. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so definitely a change, definitely a change. Yeah. I, I'm usually under a hundred shows a year, but, uh, last year, I think, shoot, I think I did less than 10. Yeah. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely in the same boat there for less than 10. (laughs) So is there anything in quarantine that you, uh, have learned more about yourself? Um, one of the, the cool things that I kind of discovered over, over quarantine is my love of vinyl. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just kind of like, I went in, there's, I've, I've these two friends who are, um, who are really, really into like collecting records and they go over like, you know, this pressing is better than this pressing. And this year was better for this record than this year. Um, and we, we kind of started this, this, hopefully it'll become a podcast, but, um, we started this record club where, um, virtually we would get together like, you know, once or twice a week. Um, and this was during like the lockdown part of quarantine. So this was back in like, you know, the end of March, early April. And we did it for a few months where we would just kind of like pick a theme and, and talk about, you know, the records. And we, we'd listen to like, if maybe, you know, both of those guys had a copy of sticky fingers and I had a copy of sticky fingers. We, we compare pressings that we had and kind of talk about it and talk about the sound and production and all that kind of stuff. So I definitely grew my record collection, uh, over the past year. What's, what's been like one of your favorite records that you bought in the last year? Oof. Um, there's a couple of really good ones I got my hands on, but uh, the one that comes to mind right now is, are you familiar with a record by um, McCartney and Wings called Back to the Egg? Um, I can't say that I am. Um, I'm yeah, not it, a huge it, McCartney fan, but... Uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't a huge record for, for him either, and a lot of people don't like it, but um, it, it's, it's one of my favorite records of his. And I got, um, a couple months ago, it was like an original pressing sealed copy, so it was like completely mint. Wow. Yeah. So that, that was, that was a good one. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple, I got like a, a couple of like early stones records and mono that are in pretty good shape. Um, a couple of band records. Yeah. Just what good it, stuff. With mono, like what's like, how different does it sound versus like stereo? Cause I don't know that I have any mono records. I guess I'll have to go back and look. Oh man. So yeah, you should definitely do some like comparisons. There's a huge, huge difference, especially with like the Beatles and Stones, because um, back then they would just kind of be there for the mono mixes, and you know the Beatles would like get their hands on the faders for the mono mixes, and then when it came time to do stereo, they were just like, oh, like you know, you guys can just do it on your own, you know, talking to like George Martin or something. Um, so like they really only cared about mono because they knew that their fans couldn't afford stereos systems back then. So they knew that their, their records were only being heard really by most people in mono. Yeah. So the, the mixes are actually different. And, um, especially in like Beatles records, you know, there's actual like guitar parts that you can hear in mono that aren't in the stereo version or vice versa. I have noticed that. I actually have noticed that. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, pretty cool. Cause, um, 
what was I listening to? I think I was listening to, I don't remember what record it was, uh, mm-hmm. which what's the one that has Norwegian wood. Oh, uh, rubber soul. Rubber soul. Yeah. Yeah. So I have it on a uh, cassette, right. And cool. um, it's, I have all my parents' old vinyls and all their old cassettes. And nice. so I, maybe that must be in mono actually, because uh, I heard like a remaster and stereo and there were guitar parts that I had never heard Interesting. on rubber soul. And I was like, this, like, this is weird. Like, I don't know if yeah. I like it because I'd only heard the mono version, you know? Yeah. It's, it's tough to get used to because you're used to like growing up with one version and then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, like what the hell is this? <laughs> right. And you hear like a harmony and stuff and you're like, what? Yeah. 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 Um, I think I just bought this last weekend, but uh, Merle Haggard's uh, Back to the Bar Rooms. Ooh, I got nice. on vinyl. Very uh, nice. Original pressing. And it's, it's, it's freaking sweet. That's uh, that one. And then I have a, a, a same thing. It was never opened. Um, uh, shoot. Now I'm going to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, uh, yeah. Leuven Brothers. Uh, what is the name of this record? Oh, it's just specialty series released by uh, Rounder Records, and it was oh, cool. uh, never opened, and it's freaking sweet. Nice. It's got, it's got like a uh, weapon of prayer. They've got the church outnumbered. It's a bunch of old gospel songs. It's super cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Do you do you find that like um, listening to vinyl has shaped the way that you approach your own music at all? Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 pretty amazing. I can't, I can't look at, uh, uh, an LP, a, a release of a, of a record, uh, in the format of Spotify. I, I just can't, it doesn't work for me. Mm. And I think part of that is because I grew up, uh, on the same record player that I have right here next to me, you know, oh, that so was cool. in our entertainment room growing up. And that's how I listen to music. I mean, it was you know, just as many cassettes as, as vinyl records that we listen to, but, uh, that was the format. And I don't, I don't know how to look at it in a different way, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or, or I don't want to, maybe I'm stubborn, but <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool too. I mean, I don't really want to either. I mean, there, you know, you've heard how many times before people say like, Oh yeah, like nobody buys albums anymore or nobody cares about albums anymore. Um, but yeah, like, you know, that may be true for the for the general public, but all my friends care about albums. So it's like, you know, that's, that's still cool with me. I'll, I'll, I'll make albums. <laughs> right. And uh, I think that we're just back to like the way it was in like the late forties, early fifties, where everything mm-hmm. was singles initially, and then it went to albums. So I think that, um, you know, in the next 10 years or so, people will be back on albums. I think that right now they're just on singles because yeah, everything's circular and we just come back around to singles. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good point. Um, I've heard people say that recently too, that like, you know, music is circular and we're, we're going to be back to like, <laughs> well, I guess what, what we consider the golden age of music to be like, you know, the sixties and seventies, but like that, that way of thinking of things is is coming back around soon. So I hope they're right. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope so as well. It's good to know that you're uh, super into vinyls. I, I probably have like, I don't know, like a hundred or so, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely trying to grow my record collection. No, for sure. For sure. Yeah. There's, I mean, luckily for, for people like us, there, um, a couple of record stores around the country have been doing online orders where, you know, they put all their inventory online and, um, it's just kind of fun, like, you know, to pass the time being like, oh yeah, like this, 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 uh, Zeppelin record is really cool. And it's this pressing. Oh, I've heard good things about that. Let me take a look at that. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I'm about uh, I'm I'm a short bike ride away from Grimey's too, which ooh, is nice. Pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that is pretty dangerous. The the closest record store to me is like a half hour away. So that you know, as far as like driving there, it's a pretty safe. You know that I that I won't actually go there unless I'm going there on purpose. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. But, so um, you have a, a undergraduate degree in music theory and composition. I do. Uh, from yeah. NYU. Um, does that affect your writing process? Absolutely. Um, it actually shaped and kind of formed my writing process as well. Um, you know, I, my, the first song that I remember writing, I wrote when I was like seven years old, um, where it was just kind of like, it wasn't like necessarily I had anything to say, or maybe I didn't recognize that then, but it was more so like, oh yeah, like I, I see my favorite bands, like they wrote their own songs. Like, let me take a crack at it, you know? And, you know, I wrote a bunch of songs then and the writing process definitely improved more. And then, um, my first composite, like private composition lesson at, uh, at school at, at, at NYU was kind of a really good wake up call. Cause my, my teacher said like, okay, well, you know, I listened to your stuff and a couple of your albums and it sounds great. You know, it's all really good stuff, but now that you don't have to impress anybody anymore, like I want to hear what you have to say. Wow. And I, yeah. and I was like, I was like, ah, okay. That's, that's something I can understand now. And then I feel like the assignments that he gave me were just like, write a song using three chords. Like don't use any more than, than G, C, and D. I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> you know, but then I, you, you kind of learn that, um, like he was saying, like when you don't have to impress somebody, you know, the, the idea of music shouldn't necessarily be the intent of like, well, I want to impress you. It should be like, if what I have to say touches you, then that's, that's more important than impressing somebody, you know? Yeah. Were you like in bands when you were younger is. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's actually a really interesting story. Um, the, the first band I was in was I was in elementary school and um, I was actually the only trained musician in the band, but they were three of my best friends. And, you know, the thing to do was like, you know, I, I want these guys to be in my band. Cause that's the thing, you know, the Beatles, they're all best friends or, yeah. you know, the monkeys or the Rolling Stones, they're all, they're all best friends clearly. So like, that's the thing to do. Who cares if they can't play? So we would, so, so we would just like, you know, write these songs during recess and like get together in my basement and record a couple of demos on, um, you know, the karaoke machine that I had downstairs. Um, I still have some of them. I haven't listened to them in a while, but they're pretty funny for, uh, for 10 year olds. And then, um, when I was in middle school, um, one of my friend's brothers was, I think he was like three or four years older than us. And he was starting this band and he heard that, you know, I, I, I had a reputation in, in my, uh, hometown of like being the musician guy, you know, like, cause nobody else really played, which was why like, you know, the, I, I didn't seek out, uh, people who played. I seeked out my friends cause nobody played, you know? Right. Um, so he knew that I played drums, uh, my friend's brother. And he was like, you know, I'm starting this band and we're doing battle of the bands and in the high school. And, you know, I was wondering, and I know you're younger than us, but would you want to be in the band? I was like, yeah, hell yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we did it, we did a couple of songs and we won battle of the bands the first year. And then it was, it was almost kind of like, you ever see the movie, that thing you do. Yeah. So it was kind of like that where like, 
you know, we weren't sure if we were going to be a band. Like we were just kind of together for Battle of the Bands. And then all of a sudden, like after we won and there was a demand from like people to hear our songs, it was like, oh, well, then maybe we should be a band. So the guitar, the guitar player started writing songs. Um, and we learned his originals. We'd go into a studio. Like that was my first experience in a recording studio. Like, you know, I remember I was the drummer. I was like, I was like 12 years old. And I remember um, <laughs> the first time we were in a recording studio, the, produ- the producer engineer came up to me because I was the drummer and he's like, oh, um, what's the tempo of the song? And I was like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like medium fast, whatever. And he's like, no, no, no. I mean like the metronome marking for the, for the click track. And I was like, what's a click track? And he, <laughs> and, and he, and he paused and he looked at me and he rolled his eyes. And he's like, oh, okay. And, th- and then he went back in the booth. I was like, shit, like, what did I do? I messed it up. It's my first time in the studio. I messed up already. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I learned, I learned quick enough that, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the way of the studio. Yeah. And, I, um, think, I think everyone has that first time. I'm like, wait, what's a click track? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was pretty funny. Um, but, but uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, but uh, when you were talking about uh, one of your professors saying, I want to hear what you have to say, not try to be impressive. It just it, yeah. Im- immediately my, it triggered my brain of being like, okay, you had to have been in bands because that's, that's kind of like t- and becoming a songwriter, like switching out of the band mode and becoming a songwriter uh, was a tough transition being a musician first and then transitioning into a songwriter because you're always looking for like, an impressive riff or like you don't look at it as like the song bare bones. uh, When you're a musician, you look at like, what's my cool part that I'm going to add to this or whatever, when you're younger, at least. Absolutely. So that transition at songwriter, it's like, it's tough when you're a musician first, because you always want, you're like, I got to write like a cool riff for this or whatever, instead of just being like, like you said, G, C and D write the lyrics and the cool parts will come later. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I heard something recently too um, that I just kind of like repeat in my head as a as a mantra is um, Jim Keltner, you know, great session drummer, played with everybody, one of my favorite musicians ever. Um, he gave this interview a couple years ago and he said something like, or the, the question he was asked was, um, what advice would you give to, um, to any songwriter? And he said, um, don't, think that you have to impress the musicians um like you should make the musicians have to rise to the song you know rather than the other way around and i thought like yeah like that that goes exactly with what what um what my teacher was telling me too and it was just kind of nice to reaffirm that I think anyone that's uh, been in a band in a small town has dealt with, as a songwriter, has dealt with uh, a bass player that got bored because they don't really like your songs and trying to like appease them, you know? Totally. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So like, I think that's a part of the struggle too, uh, as a songwriter, uh, especially anyone that's in like a, a smaller town that's not like a, a, you know, music city type thing where- where people are for hire is that you're, you're trying to appease members in the band that are bored because they don't have a cool baseline or a, a cool solo section. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's hard to like tell a bass player when you're in high school, like, okay, I wrote this song. I want you to play whole notes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, what, <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> That's like the death of that song right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, he's not in it. And then, 
it just, you know, what's the point after that? So, you know, I'm, I'm lucky now that, you know, the musicians that, that are around me are like, so for the song. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just great when you finally find those people who are like, they just share the same vision. Yeah. It it really, it's to be mature enough musically to be like, okay, like this whole song is just like three whole notes over and over again. And like, it makes it beautiful. Like that's a great place to be for sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, awesome. Thank you, Andrew, so much uh, for this conversation and, and stopping by the podcast. Um, your EP lookout mountain is fantastic. Now I got to dig into the full length and the two singles. And I look forward <laughs> to the next record that's coming out, hopefully at the end of this year. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me. It was great talking. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, everyone go check out his new records. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to Americana Station, the first one of 2021. Uh, We got a lot more good stuff coming. Make sure you rate and review um, and go follow Andrew Weiss on uh, social media. Um, Make sure you stream his new record and uh, purchase it on Bandcamp. Next week, we'll be talking to Dan Whitaker. And uh, this Saturday, January 16th, he will be streaming his live show uh, for his new record. So be sure to check him out at danwhitaker.com. And uh, we'll be back next week with more music and more interview. I'm Will Payne Harrison. Have a good one. to testify so just to give me peace of mind are you gonna find me I bought you vintage roses for a reason I knew I couldn't leave them for someone else to have I'm starting to think that this is really true You'll take away what you want to There's nothing more to say I'm starting to think that this is what you need You can choose to be free Six ways to Sunday Six ways to Sunday